You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Future Projection Podcast. I am Carlos Colazzo, joined as always by Ben Badler. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Carlos. We got the, I'm here in Massachusetts, so we got the, supposedly tomorrow we're finding out the schedule for when everybody's going to be eligible for the vaccine. So I got my, my fingers crossed. Next week they open it up to podcasters. Hopefully yeah. we, can, we can jump in there. We've talked about this before, but it's really a shame that that social media influencers like yourself weren't first in line to get the vaccine. But um, no, fingers crossed with that. Good luck. But today we have uh, a very special guest who's joining us for the entirety of our conversation, uh, a fellow baseball American, Josh Norris. Josh, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Just here in North Carolina, uh, I got a our, our colleague, Teddy Cahill's dog, chilling right behind me. She's asleep and she's going to, you know, uh, bop me on the head if I say something dumb or if she <laughs> wants food or basically for any reason at all. She's nice. She's going to let me know it's time. Nice. Now, I, I'm sure most people who are listening, well, actually, I don't want to assume that. Maybe, maybe none of them know who you are, but me and Ben in our intro podcast uh, a few episodes ago talked a little bit about our background and kind of how we got in Baseball America. Do you want to talk at all about how you got involved in Baseball America and a little bit about your background so the listeners uh, know who you are? Uh, I've been instructed by witness protection not to mention any of those details, lest it <laughs> compromise my current situation. Uh, no, so I came about my baseball writing career in a very roundabout way. Like in normal times, I probably go to more baseball games here than I did throughout the entirety of my childhood because uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, where you know, the closest big league team was the Mariners and the minor league teams kept kind of coming and going. And my parents don't care at all about sports of any kind. Uh, and they also weren't real big on journalism either. We never had a, a, a newspaper growing up. So this was almost like my, you know, some kids wear dark clothing and makeup and, you know, uh, play depressing music. This was my rebellion. Was, I'm going to get into sports journalism. I don't care who knows it. Um, but uh, part of the real reason was when I, I, I kind of like started liking baseball when I was about 10 or 11 years old, thanks to some of my relatives. Uh, but I had a liver condition where, you know, I can't play. Not that it would, not that I would have gotten very far anyway. I would probably would have made it to JV in high school if I was very, very lucky. But uh, they stopped me from playing any, anything close to a contact sport when I was 12. So I got into umpiring 
And then once it was very clear that, that those were even longer odds and you got paid to get yelled at for a living uh, or dirt kicked on for a living, I moved into journalism, which, you know, no one ever reacts poorly to journalists. They don't. Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like anytime <laughs> you rank literally anything, you still get yelled at, Josh. So yeah, good but choice I feel like umpires have got to be, you're, you're picking two groups where <laughs> you're, you're not necessarily going to be a fan favorite. No, those are two words that have never been used to describe me consecutively. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I am a little bit of a sucker for punishment. But, you know, from there, I went into my high school paper, and then I started writing for the, or copy editing, really, uh, with some writing on the side for my college paper at the University of Oregon. Um, and I got hired right out of college to go as a copy guy in Trenton, New Jersey, at a paper called The Trentonian. And... I got laid off shortly thereafter, but they said, you know, you can start looking for jobs. And while you're doing that, you can still freelance for us because nobody really wants, you know, we, we don't really have anybody to cover the Trenton Thunder. So you can do that in your free time. You like baseball. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll look for jobs and I will get some extra money and I will get to watch baseball. So I did that. And eventually they undid my layoff and they kept me on the Thunder beat. And I did that for six years. And then I saw, I'll be enough. I saw when you, Ben, moved to Massachusetts, and I think it was that, and, and I know, I, I thought that was one of the reasons that I thought a job was opening there, but that wasn't the case then. But shortly thereafter, Connor Glassy and Nathan Rohde left, and I, I think I DM'd John Manuel, like, are these jobs going to open? Are you going to fill them? Because obviously this is the state of journalism where you don't necessarily always fill vacancies, and I didn't realize how condensed the BA staff is. Like, I, I didn't think, I thought maybe all the org report reporters were on staff, which not the case. Um, and uh, he said, yeah, we're going to fill some of these. And I just kept basically pestering him for however long it took. And I interviewed and then about a month later, they hired me and I've been here for coming up on eight years now. So basically you're saying you just annoyed John Manuel enough that he finally gave you a job. Is that correct? Yeah, that's actually, it's funny. Like, <laughs> That's actually what my, my, my dad's advice to me for getting jobs was, was do not let them forget you. Be annoying. Like, I can do that. I've, I've spent my life doing that. <laughs> so, so what well, do you I spend your... when... No, go ahead, Ben. I was going to say, I, I remember when you were covering the, the Trenton Thunder, because I would see you were doing so much video back then, right? Like, it was especially at a time before uh -huh. a lot of people were doing video like really good quality video too not videos that were shot on like the iphone one or a blackberry or something where it was all, all no, blackberry shot video? a lot of really wow. good video so my the, there were two well there were three main people on that beat one was john nalbone who wrote for the, the rival paper one was mike ashmore who wrote for his own blog essentially not essentially he wrote for his own blog um and that was it and then there was me who worked for trenton for the trentonian and he started doing video and I said, well, if I'm going to keep up with the Joneses, I need to get a camera. And so I did. And because I have no social life, I did the, uh, the, the Trenton video. And on my days off, I would go to like Lakewood or Wilmington or Bowie or Reading or wherever and keep doing it. So just to take as much video of as many prospects as, can, as I possibly could. Like, you know, there was one day I remember particularly was, well, right before I got hired here, um, like a few months, I went to see Jesse Biddle in Harrisburg, which is about a two and a half hour drive. And he struck out 16 in those seven innings and hit two doubles. And I filmed everything. 
And you guys, of course, put them on the hot sheet that day. So I said, hey, John Manuel, do you want my video of those of every strikeout finishing pitch and his two doubles? Like, sure. And then I think like that was April. So four months later or three months later, the job came open and I, you remember me? <laughs> and just kept bugging him. I remember for our interview, we just talked about baseball for like half an hour or something. And he had to go get his kids. And it was me and Will Lingo on the phone kind of awkwardly because we didn't know how this was going to end, like how that happened. And then for about a month, I didn't hear from him because the College World Series was happening. So I was like, I either did amazing on that interview or I did terribly. I don't know. So I would go these, these cycles of beating myself up, like you're going to be in Trenton forever. You're going to be a nobody <laughs> uh, to you're going to go to Baseball American. You're going to be a somebody or at least a B grade somebody. And as it turned out, I am a B grade somebody. So, there you go. <laughs> it's funny that you say that about your interview with John, because I remember when I uh, interviewed for an internship, it was just like a really quick Skype call with John. Zoom was was not a thing back then. But uh, we literally just talked about the UNC baseball team. I don't know that he asked me specifically a question the entire time. We just talked to baseball. And right. uh, I was fortunate enough to get the internship. But it's kind of funny how yours is, is somewhat similar. We just talked about baseball players from Oregon. Like I think Jed Lowry came up and Jacoby Ellsbury and all those things. It's like, yeah, wait, like, what do you expect to do in five years? Uh, what would you do? What would your, your salary expectations be? All those things. None of that came up. Like, <laughs> well, that's cool. Um, Josh, what do you find yourself doing most of the time now? Um, kind of talked about how my main focus here is draft. Ben does a lot of minor league prospects and obviously the international coverage, but how would you describe kind of your day-to-day responsibilities? I mean, assuming pre-pandemic. Oh, well, hopefully we're about to come I mean, out of it. So you, yeah, go ahead and do yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just mean, reminisce I'm, I'm, on the good I'm old on days. the pro side. I'm, you know, on the minor league side of things. I, you know, me and Kyle Glazer tend to focus the most, and JJ Cooper, on pro prospects in the minor leagues. You know, uh, I'll be at, in normal times, I'll be at, at as many games as possible uh, within, you know, budgetary and, san- and sanity uh, kind of reasons. You know, some days you can do two, some days you can do, like right before the pandemic, I think right, the spring training before the pandemic, I hit five backfields in one day, which took some doing. But, you know, you got to see Angels and Rockies and Giants and Padres and Mariners and all these guys at once. And then you go home and you cuddle that video. I do a lot of our video work. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, just in front of me. You can't see it on the screen. And you can't see it because it's a podcast. You can't see the screen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, Please, let's break down some of the video for our listeners here, Josh. <laughs> stacks and stacks and stacks of hard drives. So I probably got, you know, 20 terabytes of video over there of, you know, the last eight, nine, 10 years of, of the minor leagues. So that's part of my job too. I do a lot of editing work. Uh, if you've ever liked a cover headline, it's probably mine. And if you haven't, it wasn't. Yeah, I'm Josh is our resident pun expert and witty headline <laughs> expert. Actually, sneaky, uh, sneaky competitor to you is uh, Brent Lewis, who has actually yes, been on his pun game lately. He has, but he's never involved in the, the magazine conversation. No. So, so maybe that's Brent a, does IT for us. If you guys don't know who Brent is, and um, Brent is, did Brent predate you, Ben? Uh, that's a good question. I think around the same time. I started 2007. I think he did too. I think you guys are, I think me and you and Brent are all like the same age, but like different days. 
Um, I, I know I'm the, as far as the, the editorial staff, I'm the fourth longest tenured and you were the third and it's Matt and JJ or Matt and yeah, Matt and JJ. So it's kind of weird. Well, congratulations again on being very old, you guys, but, um, Hey, Hey, <laughs> Josh, welcome to the podcast. I'm sure you're going to be around frequently. Uh, but what do you guys want to talk about today, Ben? I know you have some stuff that you want to dive into. Um, let's get into it. Yeah. What, uh, you know, so I was thinking about today, you know, a lot of times we talk to scouts and, and sometimes the, I think it's true both on the pro side and on the amateur side where, I mean, it's, it's a little different on the pro side, but at least on the amateur side, both domestically and, and, and internationally, where sometimes there are certain players where the the area scouts, the guys who are seeing players pretty consistently, have have different evaluations. Sometimes, uh, very much so compared to the higher level, the national guys, either the, the national cross checkers or the scouting director, or international, obviously the international director, who will come away with opinions of of the player that's very different than what the kind of the area guys on, on the ground are seeing. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating conversation. And I feel like you probably have examples of this every year in every class right now. I feel like this exact kind of situation is happening with justice Thompson at UNC. He's a guy who was starting to get some helium after he hit in game and in one of the opening series, it might've been the Virginia tech series in the midweek games prior to that weekend series, but he was a guy who some national level guys and cross checkers were seeing live and saw him hit in game. And he's a guy who has a pretty impressive frame, some power potential speed center field profile. Uh, and he hit that weekend. So a lot of the national guys really, really were bought in. And then as we kind of start digging to see, what the area guys think who have more extensive history, the reviews that you get back for him are a lot more pessimistic or at least a lot more conservative because a lot of those guys have, had been following him a little, bit, a little bit longer and had more track record of him not hitting to that kind of caliber. They had seen him uh, when he showed some swing and miss, uh, trouble picking up spin in the fall, stuff like that. So I always think it's fascinating when you run into a player like that and how do you handle that sort of information asymmetry. I think actually, Josh, one of the ones that we ran into a couple of years ago was Shane McClanahan. Like if we were making evaluations based on when we saw him specifically, I don't think either you or, or me was his bad luck charm because he never pitched very well when we were in the house. And every time he was, all the times that we weren't there, he was seemingly brilliant. So oh, trying to figure out how to deal with those information asymmetries is a real challenge. Well, I'll, I'll add some context here. Like you and I both saw him bad twice. And well, I saw him bad twice in college. I don't know how many times you saw him. I know we saw him together at ECU. I saw him matched up with Tim Kate at uh, South Florida. I've seen him twice in pro ball and he has gotten his brains beat in every time. I think he's given up something like 20 earned runs in seven innings when I've seen him. Oh my it's, gosh, that's that's worse than I even thought it was. It's it's like I my joke is that like he needs a restraining order when mm -hmm. I pitch when I when I'm there. I haven't seen him since, 
because uh, he's gotten to the major leagues <laughs> and, and <laughs> we're in a pandemic. But I, I just know when I, I know this stuff is good. I know that what I'm seeing is a series of anomalies because I've seen probably the four worst outings of his career. Um, I saw Luis Severino in the minors give up seven earned runs in a game, including to a, a, a grand slam to a guy who might've had two career home runs. Um, that was a, a weird one, but yeah, that, that's, it's not even asymmetry. It's that's, it's when it's so bad, you know, it's an outlier. Like, okay. If this guy's, you know, high up on our draft boards and all those things, and he just, just has one of those days that you're probably not getting the, the right guy on that day. And as we found out later, with the ECU start, he was sick that day. And he was going back to the dugout, puking and rallying. I don't know what happened the other three times I saw him. That's a, a problem there. That's my fault. But the ECU game, he was pretty sick that day. But to kind of jump off what you said, the phenomenon on the pro side is when you get a high round pick or a high dollar international guy, and he comes into pro ball, and then the pro scouts will immediately just kind of be like, WTF. Well, this guy got how much? You can you it's can correct me. And it's, you can correct me if this guy doesn't fit that profile, but one of the first guys that I thought about when we were talking about differences in evaluation from area guys and national guys was actually Keone Cavaco from the 2019 draft. And even before he got into pro ball, he was a guy that was split camp, depending on the evaluators. I know on the West Coast it seemed like a lot of the area scouts who had more of a history and Kavaka was not a guy who was on the circuit um, as much as many of the hitters who, who went at the top or, or just typical high school showcase circuit hitters. The area guys did not seem to like him as much as the national guys. And Kavaka was one of those players who was super toolsy and everyone would admit that like his tools played in the middle of the first round. He wound up going in the top half of the first round to the twins uh, and he's really struggled so far. Now, there's still a lot of time for him to figure it out. Maybe he's just a case where he's very raw and just needs some time. Um, but there were a lot of area scouts who questioned the hit tool. Like, would he be able to hit at the next level? And I'm curious if there was also that disconnect for a guy like him once he entered pro ball, or if you guys have any other examples of a player like that. Yeah, he was – I did our Gulf Coast League prospects list – the summer after he signed and it, it the reports were very much not consistent with a player who was a, a first round pick and a decently high first round pick too. I think like you said, players who who have really loud tools, it it's pretty it's pretty easy to see those tools right away if you come in and, and see that player in in a workout, in a showcase, you're gonna see he has a lot of bat speed, not, not speaking to him specifically, but just in general, you can see if a player has a lot of bat speed, big power, he can run, he can throw, um, you know, if, if he's, if he's an infielder, he can maybe put on a good show at, at shortstop, but there's, I, I think the guys who see him play or see that player play consistently in games have a much better feel for for this player's strengths and weaknesses in the game for his feel for hitting for his ability to recognize spin to uh to catch up to good velocity to 
to manage the strike zone to perform in games and, and play under control both offensively and, and defensively too. So even though a lot of the times you may have less experienced evaluators who are, who are amateur scouts compared to your, your scouting director or some of your higher ranking scouts, I think it's, it's, it's critical, I think, to, to listen to, to the area scouts who, who really have built a lot of history on, on these players. Yeah, go ahead, Josh, what you're about to add to that. Well, I was going to, I was, yeah, go ahead. Ben and I didn't talk over it, but uh, my examples are like when I first got here, Eric Jagailo was one of the Yankees' high picks in 2013. Um, and when you did, when I did my first handbook, the calls in the Florida State League, they just fricasseed him. Like, I think the quote I got was he took that bonus with a, a ski mask and a gun. Like, it was that bad that quick. It's just, it is always so stark to me how quickly pro scouts just say, nope, I'm out. And after so much hype about so many players, or so much hype on the player for so many years, uh, it immediately becomes evident when you get into much better competition that, nah, this, this isn't going to work. Zach Collins was another guy like that. Hit a ton at Miami, but got immediately, there's a hole at the top of his swing, or was, that pitchers found in high A very quickly, and pro scouts saw it very quickly and questioned, there's no way this guy's going to hit for average if he doesn't um, – close it and you know right now he's a he's still got the power that's for sure he's got one of the best batting eyes in baseball that's for sure but he's not a catcher and he does not have the ability to hit for any kind of average it seems like now i have secured comeback player of the year for him by saying all that so you're welcome <laughs> but those were the two guys that jumped to mind uh about just immediate 180s from the mm -hmm. amateur and pro scouting reports. One of yeah, but I, I think it can go the other way too. Where I, I mean, I remember pro scouts when when they some of them when they saw Alec Bohm maybe initially or or Luis Robert. Um, they you know those guys do not get off to super super hot starts. But I think in in those case, like in Bohm's case, you have somebody who's coming off of a a really long college season. Um, in Luis Roberts' mm -hmm. case, you have a Cuban player who's – I think it's especially true with Cuban players where, where we've seen, you know, the same thing with Moncada or uh, or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. too, where, yeah, maybe this guy needs a little bit of time oh. to acclimate to a new country and get used to get – his, get his timing back, get used to get, – get accustomed to the rhythm of, of professional baseball. And I think sometimes people can be too quick to – jump off that player again because they they don't have that history that the that the amateur scouts have on on those players but obviously it's yeah when you like we've talked about this before that when you get into pro ball and, and now you're seeing these guys against pro competition and they're swinging wood bats especially I think especially for the high school players a little bit less so for for the college players but yeah I think it's it's meaningful but you, you still want to keep that fuller context into into mind for sure like Luis robert and you know cubans uh are a bit of um an exception to the rule because you you do give them like a year you know after to kick all that rust off from the 
the layoff that they've had. I get, I, I was in, if 2020 had happened, I was expecting or hoping for big things from Victor Victor Mesa after uh, the year he had coming over to the States the first time. But obviously we didn't have it. So, you know, yada, yada, yada. Maybe, maybe this year is the year for Victor Victor. But yeah, that's a caveat that's, you know, always built in with those type of players. I, I think that's, is that fair to you, Ben? At least it should be. Yeah. Well, I remember when Yohan Moncada signed for a little bit of fanfare, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, just, no, a touch, just a touch. Yeah. And, and his first couple months, I think, in low A were not great. And every there's just so much reaction. I don't, maybe not so much from from scouts. I don't know if that was really the case, but it was certainly from a lot of fans just looking at the numbers that he was putting up. And it, you know, he he wasn't, you know, anything. The, the numbers were not great. But I was like, well, all right, why don't we just <laughs> give him a little bit of time to get acclimated to this new country, this get his get his timing back as as a hitter get used to this new routine and football. And I think that if I remember, he was our minor league player of the year, right? So it's, yeah. I, I think it's very, very, very much the case that those guys, you need to cut them a little bit of slack when they're, the when they're just starting year. out. I think I that, that also kind of delete, leads into another interesting conversation and it's just prospect fatigue. I don't, I don't think we've talked about it so far on this podcast, but I, I definitely think prospect fatigue and, and maybe just like the expectations and hype versus like being still being a really good player. But two of the last three drafts that I've done, not counting this current one, I feel like the top high school prospect entering a class has really suffered from prospect fatigue. Guys like Bryce Terang and Pete Crow Armstrong not always being the best player on the field when they kind of come into the summer with a reputation that they are the top player in the class. I feel like those guys can get picked apart a little bit more aggressively than someone who maybe isn't just as highly thought of that you don't have your expectations very high. So where do you guys stand on something like that? Do you think we as an industry and and not scouts here, but I mean, people who are covering prospects or paying attention to them um, suffer from any kind of prospect fatigue at all? Because I almost feel like it's happening a little bit with Kumar Rocker too. Like, you just really pick these guys apart and maybe that's the whole point is when their year comes on the draft, at least the top guys, you have to get really specific about their flaws. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious about what y'all's thoughts are on prospect fatigue and uh, hype versus expectations, stuff like that. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, how many years did we rank Gary Sanchez in the Yankees top 10 and as a top 100 prospect, probably like seven, eight, nine, <laughs> he signed for $3 million when he was, 16 years old. So I think we see it a lot on the international side, maybe not so much before they sign, right? Cause you're, you're, they're signing at 16 years old and, and you're probably hearing about them since they were, you know, maybe 15 or, or 16 or, or a little bit younger in some cases, but they're signing at 16 and yeah, I mean, there's, there's some mutants like uh, Juan Soto or Vlad Jr. Uh, Tatis who are getting to the big leagues when they're, 19 20 years old but that's very much the exception to the rule you you have to have patience with these guys it's really more reasonable to expect them to make their major league debut when they're what 22 23 really right I mean that's for if a college player gets to the big leagues at 23 that's pretty much 
right on track. It's still a young player, but you you just hear about them so much, and you're like, really, this guy is still a prospect? Well, yeah, he's 21 years old. It's it's like Vlad Jr. right now, right? Or people were banging all over him last year. I'm like, this guy is the same age as Spencer Torkelson, who were yeah. <laughs> who, by the way, Vlad has been a, as, a league average or better hitter in both of his seasons so far. So yeah, as I mean, a 20 year old, right? <laughs> I mean, Juan Soto. So, is so I definitely think that's. I, I definitely think that's the. You, you see it a lot on the for international players who are very prominent at, at 16 years old, and and now you know we're putting more attention on them than than ever but yeah I, I agree I, I think especially on on the draft side the more prominence a player has early on the more the more likely we are and I think clubs are to to pick these guys apart and and I've, yeah, I think sometimes it can it can work against the player if, if a player has such high expectations or, or is getting a lot of hype. I, I think sometimes people look to uh, almost cool the heat on them to, <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think there's kind of a couple different phenomenon, phenomena there. Um, you know, we, we talked about Gary Sanchez. Well, keep, keep it at the catcher position. Jorge Alfaro is tied for the most appearances in the prospect handbook in history with uh, I believe Dellen Batansis and there's another guy or two guys who um, who are there. But, you know, there was some prospect fatigue involved with him because it, it took a, a good gosh darn long time. And How many years was he in the handbook? I think it's like 10 or 11. Okay. So 10 or 11 uh, is that's, – that's crazy. Yeah, especially when we used to print the entire stats. Like Dellen Batansis was – you would have his report – and then like three quarter, you know, two thirds of the page was his stat line. Cause we used to just print every stat from the guy's professional career, but now we're like, I think it's three years now. Uh, but yeah, there was some prospect fatigue there. There were also I, some I also, not good stats in there. Yes, <laughs> I, I lived through that. I covered through that. Um, uh, and great. I, I love him. He was wonderful to cover, uh, but it took a while. Um, but yeah, I think the guys like Tatis and Acuna and uh, Soto, uh, who will come up later in this podcast, uh, have kind of spoiled us a little bit. I mean, Juan Soto is eight months younger than Adley Rutschman. Uh, Insane. The number. It, 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 when he went to rehab at then Potomac, the high A affiliate, he was the youngest guy on the team. We have to learn that these guys aren't the aren't the rule. They're the exception. The problem is we. I say problem in air quotes. We keep getting, it's like a mutant a year. And they, they just keep churning out these mutants. <laughs> we, it's becoming more and more reality. And it's, it's frightening. You almost expect a guy to, you know, immediately cash in on his talent when he gets mm-hmm. to the big leagues without an adjustment period. But the reality is there's usually a, you know, it'll sometimes go like guy starts really hot. Everybody picks him in their fantasy league, self-included. Uh, then pitchers find the hole. And then it's the third one. The third part of that cycle is the is the key. Like, does he adjust back, or do the pitchers continue to eat him alive? Hmm. And that's there with just about everybody. I mean, are you going to be Juan Soto, or are you going to be Shane Spencer? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a a gulf of of of, of outcomes in between. Mm-hmm. But they both started their careers pretty darn hot. 
What I was also, and if you guys want to keep touching on this, we can, but what I was also kind of interested in are players who you maybe have a bias just based on a first look, like a really strong first look that sticks with you. I feel like one of the best examples that I have of this, and this play, player also probably fits into the Keone Cavaco conversation, uh, is Austin Beck. I remember in 2017, I went to see Austin Beck play for his high school and in this game, he did everything. He hit two home runs, uh, one to the pull side, one to the right center gap, I believe. One was just a monster home run. Doubled, uh, again, I think doubled to right center, shut off really impressive speed, underway. He didn't have any real chances defensively. But just with the bat, he was so explosive, and the bat speed was so electric that I was fully bought in. And, and obviously, teams were as well. He was a guy who was interesting because he didn't play on the circuit uh, the summer prior to his senior year because he had an ACL injury. And so teams just ran in on him in the spring and saw this guy who was much more tooled up than he was the last time they saw him. And then for me personally, I was just so high on him because that first look was so loud and so impressive. And to be frank, I, I was still learning a lot about how to do everything. But I am fascinated by the guys who just kind of stick with you based on that first look and maybe you have a bias for them moving forward. And I think it can work the other way around too, where a guy just shows you who he is immediately to other guys who maybe worked out a little bit better for me were Dylan Cruz, who I was really impressed with the first time I saw him actually over the summer showcase circuit. And then Kevin Parada would be the other one. But do you guys have any examples of players who just wowed you actually in either direction uh, that maybe clouded you moving forward in terms of like what you thought of them as a player? Cause I feel like it is, it can be hard to shake a first look. And if you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's that, that first look on a, on a player can leave a disproportionate amount of um, space in, in, in your evaluation of that player, I think for, for good and, and bad, like you said, that's and that's why I think it's important just to get lots of different opinions on players from lots of different people, lots of different sources. Uh, if it's a pro player, both inside and outside the organization, if it's an amateur player, both from people who are are on the ground the 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 area scouts the the local guys who are seeing this player play a lot uh and also some of the the national guys too who maybe have more more experience and and more of a a, a global perspective as far as all right this is how he this is how this guy in Massachusetts will stack up against this kid from southern california so i think it's it's important for us to be able to draw on a, a bunch of, of different sources to be able to do that. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's helpful to go in sometimes with, with fresh eyes and have as little information on a player as possible. I, I try to do that in, in certain instances, obviously can't totally do that. Although with, when I go to fields in the Dominican Republic, that's, <laughs> that, that's happens a lot where, uh, you know, these players don't play for a, a school. There's no stats or anything. You're just, looking at who happens to be there at the field. But at the same time, yeah, I want to have as much history and as, as much information from as many different sources, from as many different people who have seen this player as I can. Josh, do any come to mind for you? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, well, with the caveat that I do not put any stock into what I see. Like, I, I'm not an evaluator. Um, I've seen a fair amount of baseball games, but I'm not a scout. For so sure. Yeah, I, and I think we should make it clear I, here, too, that for, the, for everything we really do, we want it to be very much industry-driven, not these are our opinions on players. That's true for the draft right. rankings and pretty much any ranking that we do here. And, you know, even a guy like you, you played throughout high school. I, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't make it past 11 years old. Uh, so my play, I don't have a lot of playing experience to draw on, you know, as far as like what is a guy and what is not a guy, and et cetera, et cetera. So I tend to uh, not really wait, put a whole lot of weight on what I see. But, you know, sometimes guys do jump out at you, and that's the guy you ask guys about more often. And we'll get to one of those examples later. I won't spoil it just yet, but it informs my opinion about who to ask more about to make sure I didn't see a mirage. I mean, I remember one scout telling me back in the day, and I found out later he was quoting, I think the four tops said, you know, believe half of what you see, son, and none of what you hear. And that's pretty much exactly right. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, if, if I see a guy I really like who's maybe not on the radar, it's one of my favorite things in the world to go in blind. Uh, and when you think you've seen a guy that maybe the public at large doesn't know about yet, there's, a, there's an incredible rush of adrenaline to like be that person who gets it out there first. But it's never, I think it's going to be this guy. It's, let me ask three or four people about it and see if I'm right or if I'm just seeing a, uh, some guy on a good day. Yeah, and I'm also actually fascinated by the guys who don't jump out at you right away and who are the kind of player type that grows on you the more you watch them. And I guess this is typically just the the non-toolsy player, the guy who's not going to jump out in a showcase or a workout environment, but the player who, if you keep watching him over and over again, you just notice that he's always consistent, he's always getting hits, he's always taking strong at-bats. The grinder, like professional type that – if you come in for a game or two, he might really blend in. But those guys who consistently perform, it's kind of the exact opposite of what we were just talking about here. Those, I feel like, are the trickiest guys to identify. I mean, you have to have the longest history of those guys. And, and maybe in a world of analytics and models, those are just the stat guys now, the performers. Um, but are there any guys like that who are notable prospects now? I'm trying to think of one that comes to mind for me, just a, a player who consistently performed. Do either of you guys have one? Josh, you might. Brian Rocchio oh, with yeah. the Indians. When he, when he was an amateur player, he was just this small, weak kid who didn't really have – was not a, not a plus runner, not a plus arm, not, <laughs> not anywhere close to plus power. But he's really instinctive. I, I never saw him as an amateur, I should clarify, but he – in just talking to scouts who saw him, they were like, man, this guy is always putting the bat to the ball. He always seems to be in the right place at the right time, really high level instincts. He's not that physical, not that strong. There's no standout tools. I don't know. Maybe he goes to second base, but there's something there. He, he consistently puts the bat to the ball and hits well in games. So that was <laughs> why we had him kind of highlighted early on as a, uh, as a prospect to watch, even though he was a pretty low bonus guy and kind of getting back to what you were, we were talking about before as 
first impressions. I saw Luis Matos when he was an amateur before the Giants had signed him out of Venezuela. Saw him at a showcase. Again, he was at that time not probably a fringy type runner, was not a big power guy, uh, maybe an average arm. I don't know. It wasn't a cannon or, or anything like that. And and the games I saw him, he he didn't really hit well. But every scout that I talked to, uh, whether it be an international director or especially a lot of Venezuelan scouts who would see him play in a lot of games in Venezuela, they're like, oh yeah, no, this guy is one of the best hitters in in Venezuela. Every time you know we see him in a game, it's one, two, three hits in a game. It's it's not going to be crazy power. It's you, you it did see bat speed at the time, but. Uh, but all the Venezuelan scouts and, and all the international scouts I would talk to would say, yeah, this, this guy's one of the better game hitters in, in Venezuela. So it is something where, okay, yeah, I didn't see him perform when I saw him, but when there's so much history of all of these scouts who are saying, yeah, this is one of the best game hitters in, in Venezuela, I, I just override everything that I saw for, for the most part. And obviously he's kind of exploded, I think, over, over the last year or two. He most certainly has. Um, I have a kind of a similar example. It's kind of a different phenomenon, but it's what happens when you zero in too hard on one guy during a game and you don't pay attention to the entirety of what's on the field. Um, I remember I went to a game at Greensboro. It was Greensboro versus Rome. It was a kid's day. And so the, the, the way they do kids days in there is nobody but the kids and their chaperones are let in. So it's, you know, 6,000 screaming children and one me. And they got treated to Colby Allard uh, on the mound. And I thought, okay, this is the guy. Well, you know, the other guy shoved pretty good that day. And that young man turned out to be Chris Paddock. Uh, and I didn't pay a lick of attention to him because Colby Allard was more famous. Yeah. And uh, that was a mistake as it turns out. <laughs> that was what we in the industry call a mistake. Uh, and it, it kind of, you have to pay attention to everyone on the field is the lesson there. Sometimes you get prospect vision and it's not, you know, the best thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who, who's kind of the example of like um, the, the biggest or the, the most well-known major leaguer who is a impress you the more you see them guy, not super tools. I feel like Dave, David Eckstein is a guy who comes up. Are there any other guys who are playing right now who are like, you can point to and you'd be like, yeah, that's the guy who kind of fits this profile. I mean, all the major league guys have such impressive tools. Yeah. I was like, you're not going to see a whole lot of thirties uh, across the board on big league tools. Well, not even thirties too, but just like, at, yeah, I don't know who the guy would be to point to right now. I'm sure there are a ton that I'm just not thinking of, but. Well, I mean, a lot of them are, you know, their tools have gotten better too, as they've, Played at the major, like it's it's hard as an amateur to really buy in. I, I think maybe for some people to buy in on a on a high school player or uh, international. I mean, Ronald Acuna when he signed <laughs> was not like he had great tools by by any means. Um, even Juan Soto actually is another example of a guy who he was a really good hitter in in games, but he he didn't have average power. When he was 16 years old, he was not a a runner. He couldn't didn't have a big arm. But just talking to international scouts who saw him, they said, "Yeah, this guy is 
uh, you know, one of the best hitters in games. It's it's not big power. He's going to have to play a corner outfield. You, you hope the power comes down the road with him because he is going to be a, a left fielder or, or a right fielder and play pretty ordinary defense <laughs> at either of those spots. So you're, you're buying a, a 16-year-old left fielder or a right fielder who, who doesn't have big power, but he hit a lot in – in games and obviously since then the I don't think anybody has any questions about the power now but but at that point he was one of those guys where yeah you just had to you had to watch him a lot and see him play in a lot of games to um, just I think appreciate just how good of a a hitter this guy was and and how much that was going to be able to to carry him yeah definitely that's a good call and since we've been talking about these guys I feel like we probably should just go ahead and jump into it. I mean, we brought up Acuna, we brought up Soto, and the other player who's always lumped in with those two is Fernando Tatis. So I think it would be fun if we brought back our segment from last episode and played sign one, trade one, cut one with these three because it is probably the most difficult trio to play this with, or at least the most obvious trio that comes up in my mind to play this with. I was actually uh, reading a, a story. You guys should check it out from Mike Petriello, um, who was writing about if, if we've ever seen a trio like this before in baseball, just period. And I feel like their level of play at their age, like you, he had a very strong argument that we've never had a trio this good, this young. So what better way to um, celebrate how good they are than by cutting one of them? Um, I really don't know where I'm... Uh, leaning with this one so if either of you guys feel very strongly about which order you would go feel free to uh to take the reins first josh well first want to... i want to say like the answer that comes to no mind no no, no, really no. Good... you can't you can't avoid Hold the on. game I'm, I'm going to i'm going to not avoid the game but i'm going to say okay i would answer mike petriello and say willie mickey and the duke he brought that one up yeah i mean that's obvious and kind of torpedoes the entire thesis from the mm-hmm. jump we have and we will again. I think the one but, separator was that um, there was like a five-year age gap between uh, one of them and that trio, whereas these guys are all kind of the same age. Wasn't there like a war or something? Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just I don't think that would change the point our is, age. Like, there's a, the point still, is, he's still a five song. years older. <laughs> well, like one of them might have to go. Anyway, the point is... Uh, there's a song named after those three and and they were they were pretty darn good at the same time um i think we can make songs about any of these guys yeah a song about tatis acuna and soto would be a banger let's get it going we gotta get bad bunny or el alpha it's 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 amazing though like the guy a few years ago was vladdy and he's not even included in this song yeah this is the (laughs) thing this is why and we, we can talk about this later but vladdy is definitely my breakout i feel like people have forgotten about him this is prospect fatigue and it's also the other guys being so good but vladdy could easily insert himself in this conversation if he takes the next step but anyways to get back to the game josh who are you I, signing i can't believe i would say this who are you trading i would cut a coup you cutting oh my gosh all right let's hear I it would, i mean they're all amazing but right now tatis is arguably the face of baseball let me put it this way that man has commercials that run on the pac-12 network and nobody has commercials run on Pac-12 network because that is the most poorly run network in the country. So when I saw him on that network, That's I fire. almost fell out of my chair. Uh, <laughs> but 
Um, I would sign Soto because you you're that's the best pure hitter in the game. Period. The end. Um, and then that leaves Acuna, who just does everything I mean, really well. Mike Trout still exists. You think you're putting Soto as a better pure hitter than Mike Trout already? Damn right. All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I I mean, if you give him ten years, then we're going to be to be in the same company. I think like, that guy is a sorcerer, a witch, a wizard, a goblin, a heebie-jeebie. He was born to hit. <laughs> this is it's ridiculous what he does. And we'll get, like, what he did against the Astros in that world is taking Justin, was it Justin Verlander? Is it Verlander or Cole? As deep as he did at that age, like, that dude should be prepping for finals now, I think, or maybe in grad school at the worst. And he's out there just showing off like nobody's business, dropping tanks against, you know, a, a staff of really established pitchers and just a coming out party on a national stage. When we went to the Futures game that year, this dude was younger than most of the Futures gamers, but already had a sign up at Nationals Park celebrating him. Like, what in the world is this kid? I said it the other day. I think it might have been in our happy hour. Like, I think when it's all said and done, this kid, I keep saying kid, he's, he's not a kid. Juan Soto is going to be the best player I ever see professionally. What? And so you're, and so you're trading. Trout? I never saw Trout professionally. You still, in the mind. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about seeing somebody oh. in person. Okay, all right. Yeah, 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 all right, yeah, yeah. we kind of need to bring that caveat in there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, meant, I, meant, I thought I meant that clear. Like, I never saw Trout in... Who who was your guy before but, Soto? I mean, it's, Mookie it's Pets, Jose no? Fernandez. Fernandez, yeah, that's the guy Mookie's you always right to. there, but I think Soto's going to be better than Mookie. Like, it's so, different, but... To clarify your order... For sure. Your, your order uh, is uh, you're signing... Juan Soto, you're trading Tatis and you're cutting Ronald Acuna. Did you want to say anything about Tatis before uh, Ben goes? I think I said he was the face of baseball, oh, and yeah, I think yeah, I may have did. misunderstood the game. <laughs> so I, you cut and trade. That's rude that you're getting rid of two of them. Yeah, um, well, you know, we didn't put much thought into the naming mechanisms. <laughs> yeah. We just I, wanted to play the game. I guess the hierarchy would be... <laughs> I think, oh I think Acuna at this point is the three of that group. Okay. And then, God damn. You're actually, you're asking me to choose between inhaling and exhaling. You need yeah. both to live. Exactly. All right. So your order is Juan Soto signed, Fernando Tatis traded, and Ronald Acuna cut. Braves fans in shambles now. Ben, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts here? Well, I think Mookie could kind of fit. Maybe when he was an amateur, at least, or maybe early in his minor league career, Josh, like as one of those guys where when you see him, I mean, he's not that big of a guy, right? <laughs> and he didn't have anywhere near the power he had. Mm -hmm. and that, or, yeah, uh, that's a good one, too, because he was a sixth rounder, I believe. So it's not like he was even a guy whose tools threw him up at the top at the time. Yeah. And also his, his first, I don't know, his first year, he was in the New York Penn League. It was not... Like, if if you just look at what kind of numbers he put up in the New York Penn League, I don't know if you guys remember that league or not. It's it used to exist, but <laughs> it, it it wasn't oh, like fifth, he, fifth rounder, excuse me. Yeah, it wasn't like he went out and and crushed that league mm -hmm. by by any means. He was uh, I think he was a shortstop at the time. Yeah, I'm pulling up who, his numbers right now. He hit two sixty seven, three fifty two, three oh seven in the Penn League in two thousand twelve. How many home runs? 
he had zero as evidenced by that 307 slug. He had okay. eight doubles, three triples, and he stole 20 bags. In how many games? In 71 games, and then he okay. tapped into 15 <laughs> homers the next year. So something happened. Yeah, so I mean, that's and that's the kind of guy, yeah, you don't see, you see a guy who's a, a shortstop who's not going to stay at that position most likely. He's probably going to go to second base. I feel like a lot of guys who project to move to second base, especially kind of get overlooked and underrated. Uh, as though, oh, he has to move to second base. Uh, well, like, well, it's not second base is not left field. <laughs> I mean, second base is still a, a valuable position to play. I get it. There's guys who are you think are going to move to second base quickly and might not even stay at that position. That's more of a different conversation. But somebody like him, where it's it's the uh, he has obviously phenomenal hand eye coordination. He is a good athlete. He could run. So I think that stands out. But when you have smaller guys where yeah I mean they, they might be athletic but they're especially if their strength is their hand-eye coordination their ability to put the bat to the ball and, and control the strikes on it I think it can take a little bit longer sometimes to 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 fully appreciate the the talent of of that player so keep in mind Ben's way of avoiding this question is just to uh talk talk about very uh, impressively about Mookie Betts so this well, I just remember. Work, I remember. Man. I remember talking about Mookie Betts and and seeing him come. Like Josh, I know you saw him a lot coming up when when he was a minor league player. We had the whole Mookie meter. On our, yeah, I mean, on I our site at one point he was so hot. I was actually there when he started his transition to the outfield, and I do remember thinking, "Okay, the hype is real. This is very special." Um, but. Yeah, I, I don't know how he really ties into me cutting Ronald Acuna. Uh, <laughs> no, Ben was just talking about guys who are uh, or under the radar guys. Yeah, he he definitely. Yeah, so I think he definitely lived up to the, the he definitely lived up to his upside. Yeah, so I'll cut Acuna. <sighs> My gosh. Is, is this hurting you, Carlos? A little, a little, but I understand. They're they're all so good. I think, yeah, I, I think of of the way all of these guys could age. I mean, I I think all of these guys will be superstars throughout their twenties. He would be the one where, when your when your bat slows down, I mean, and he has a lot of bat speed now. So even if he loses some, I think he'll be all right. But he's one where I, I could see him having to to make some adjustments as he gets into his thirties to keep it going. The guy I would keep probably for that reason would be sign. So this is your sign. You would sign one sign. Is it sign or keep sign, sign one, okay. trade one, cut one. I will, I will <laughs> sign Juan Soto then. Okay. Um, I think uh, maybe a lot of times traditionally we think of, Oh, players with, a lot of different skills will age the best. And I, I think, look, I, I think all these guys probably will age pretty well anyway, mm -hmm. but I think, I think Soto, the way, the way he just his, his natural hitting ability, his, his vision, his ability to recognize pitches and the way his swing works. I mean, I, I love watching side videos of Juan Soto's swing in slow motion where his barrel 
gets into the hitting zone so early that it looks like he's going to whack the catcher in the head. I mean, he just gets on plane so early, stays through the hitting zone for so long, and that's why you're able to see him make, or part of the reason why you're able to see him able to make so much contact and drive the ball with such impact to all fields. It's not just a a pull-oriented swing. It's not just a pull-oriented approach. He can wait a little bit longer and, and be wait for that ball to travel a little bit deeper into the hitting zone and yeah. still hit it out to left field. I think most so I think, of his home runs last year went to the opposite field, actually. Just looking at his yeah. spray chart right now. I, I, I just think he, he has that kind of swing where even as he gets into his 30s and starts to lose a little bit of bat speed, I mean, it's not like he's a guy who really relies on his defense much anyway, but um, – even as he as he loses some bat speed, I, I think that that swing is going to age well. The approach, the hand-eye coordination, the ability to recognize stuff. I mean, he's such a smart hitter. I, I just think he has an offensive game and a swing that's going to age really well. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with any of that. And I was interested to have the kind of which which of these guys has a tool set that ages the best because I do think that Soto's tool set and just what or skill set what he's able to do offensively probably is like, he's the least reliance on athleticism and just pure tools of all these three. Is that, is that a fair comment to make you guys think? Oh yeah. I mean, definitely Acuna and Fernando Tatis Jr. Are way more athletic, way better tools Mm -hmm. than, than Soto. Yeah. All right. So I guess I'll go ahead and do mine. Uh, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to sign Juan Soto. I disagree with you guys. I think the bat is so special. I mean, if you look at his baseball savant page, the amount of attributes he has over the 90th percentile is insanity. The only two that are blue on at least his top like thumbnail percentile rankings chart is sprint speed and outs above average. Um, and, and obviously hitting is more important than his defensive value. Uh, so I think that's fair. I would sign him. I'm gonna trade. I'm gonna trade Fernando Tatis, which means I'm also cutting Ronald Acuna. And I really thought that this was gonna be more fun because we would have different opinions in different orders, but we all just spent 20 minutes to line them up in the exact same way. It's just the one Soto love fest yeah, over here. It is. Well, and I think for Acuna and Tatis specifically, I have. If we're nitpicking them. The concerns are their walk and strikeout rate. For me, um, Acuna was 14th percentile in strikeout rate last year. Tatis was a little bit better, but Acuna draws more walks, or at least has so far. Um, And Soto is just such an advanced hitter that I don't have any questions about him at the plate at all. But I think at the end of the day, splitting hairs between Tatis and Acuna, it's hard to not just give Tatis the benefit of the doubt as a shortstop. I think Ronald Acuna has a chance to be a really good defender in the outfield, but it's just a different, a different profile. The the infield value with the offensive tools you get from Tatis, that combination is just going to have to put him, put him in front of Acuna for me. Um, but yeah, I really wish, I really wish we had a uh, different orders here, but 
to be this... clear, none of us would actually cut any of these players. <laughs> if yes. we actually believed that, you could go ahead and stop this podcast right now, unsubscribe from it, and maybe whoa, throw whoa, your whoa, iPhone whoa, whoa. into the sea. Whoa, whoa, Josh, we're not going to invite you back on if you're going to tell people to unsubscribe, man. What, right. what well, is this? Literally the first, the first guest we have on the podcast is telling people to unsubscribe from our no, podcast. We're telling them to cut Acuna, so <laughs> It's a theoretical game, Josh. <laughs> but uh, there you have it. Uh, in case you're wondering, um, definitely tell us what order you guys would put this in. And actually, there's a place where you guys can all reach out to us that's more centralized. We started a Twitter account for the Future Projection Podcast. It's basically just so you guys can throw us your questions and we can handle them a little bit more consistently there. Um, and all the episodes will be tweeted out there. But you can follow that at Future Pro Pod on Twitter if you want. Send us any questions that you want answered on the podcast or comments or really anything there. Um, but I think after that, we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to take questions. And I think we have a few other topics we want to get into as well. Uh, but thanks for listening, those who have made it this far, and we'll see you in a sec. And we are back. Uh, I think we're going to talk a few potential breakout candidates and then get into reader questions Again, we appreciate you guys sending all of your questions. But since we had the Acuna Tatis Soto conversation, I feel like it only makes sense to talk Vladdy. And he was my breakout hitter for 2021. That was my choice. It almost feels weird to be taking Vladdy Jr. as a breakout hitter. Um, but he hasn't really broken out. He's been very good in his first two seasons, first abbreviated two seasons. Uh, but he's been more of a solid average than elite hitter that he kind of we had him as as a prospect I think there's still a lot of upside that he can tap into here and when I was just looking over some of his traits from 2019 to 2020 what jumped out to me was the gains he showed in his hard hit rate uh, the percentage and his average exit velocity it was pretty impressive and also noticing that he hit 54 percent of his balls on the ground last year which does not seem ideal or a player like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So I think that if he just gets the ball in the air more and continues to hit, uh, hit the ball as hard as he did last year, there could be a lot of good things coming for him. Um, I don't think anyone has jumped off the Vladdy Jr. train since he's been a major leaguer. And you guys can correct me if that's that's wrong. If you guys are ooh, I think that's Vladdy very for wrong. Whatever reason, <laughs> Ben, there's no shot, no shot. You're down on him. No, no, I'm not down on him, but I think a lot of people have been saying, oh, Vladdy Jr. is overrated. Again, kind of going back to what we were talking about before mm -hmm. with prospect fatigue from when he wasn't a prospect but at this time. But Well, here's he, your opportunity to, um, I guess, teach the, uh, teach the haters something. Why, why should people not be off the Vladdy Jr. bandwagon? Well, I, yeah, I think it's – he's just somebody who's had such a, a spotlight on him since he was – I think I first wrote about him when he was 14 or 15 years old. And I, I remember seeing him play for you sure. You did when this he was, to him, Ben. You did this. I did. I did. We ranked him as the, we ranked him as the number one prospect in so many places internationally. Uh, the Appy League, when he played there as a 17 year old, basically every league he's played in. Uh, he wasn't the Blue Jays' number one prospect when he signed. He was 16. We did have him ranked pretty high, but. Uh, since then, he's been our Blue Jays' number one prospect for for multiple 
years. I guess he wasn't in the minor leagues for that long to, <laughs> to even be there. But, you know, and, and obviously, again, some, some prospect fatigue. He's super famous because he's, I mean, a Hall of Famer junior, right? I mean, <laughs> his dad was one of the most electric players of all time, and he doesn't have he, – he has some of the same hitting tools, but <laughs> obviously not the, some of the, uh, the other uh, secondary tools as far as the speed and, and uh, arm strength that his dad – or the athleticism <laughs> that his dad had. But I, I think just expectations were so high for Vlad Jr. after he was hitting, you know, 400 in double A as a teenager and hitting 400 with power and not striking out and drawing walks too. I, I mean, it's one of the most complete hitters I've seen as a teenager since since I've been doing this and he, he went out and performed at such a high level too. So I think, yeah, I, I think some of it is just some some fatigue and, and expectations being so high that again, I mean, I don't know who like who would you take? Would you take right now, would you guys take? Would you take Vlad Jr. or would you take Spencer Torkelson? Who was obviously the number one overall pick in the draft and is a top ten prospect for us right now. Yeah, I, I take the guy who's already proven it at at the big league level as a, what, how old was he? 20 years old. He's 22 yeah, he now. Ju- he's yeah. just today. Today is his 20. Today's Tuesday. We're recording it. So today is his 22nd birthday. Well, happy birthday, Vladdy. What, what great timing. Yeah. I actually love when it, it works out that it's someone's birthday when I'm looking at their age or DOB in like a database or our internal notes. And the fact that it's his birthday now when we're talking about him on the podcast is even cooler. So yeah, no, I, I think I would take Vladdy. Who would you take? I would also take Vladdy. I mean, yeah, he's done it in the big leagues, even if it's not to the standard that he's uh, that we've created for him. Uh, he's done it in the big leagues, and like you said, he's 22 years old today. Mm-hmm. He's he's still got monster potential, and I think he's going to make you look very smart, Carlos. This coming well, season. It, I'm not exactly going out on a limb here picking Vladdy. It's a pretty safe. It's a safe bet in terms of the pedigree and what he's shown in the past. I, I was just struck by the fact that he was 10th among qualified hitters in ground ball rate. I don't know exactly. I'm not a hit, a hitting instructor. I don't know exactly how easy it is just to flip the switch and hit balls in the air more frequently. I'm, it's a lot easier said than it is done, I'm sure. But if he is just able to elevate the ball more without changing, and again, I'm probably oversimplifying this just as I kind of talk through it. But if he, if everything about his profile stays the same, but he hits 15%, 10, 15% more balls in the air, I mean, his line is going to look ridiculous, I feel like. I think Over he will season. too, because it's, it, it's not like I don't see a swing adjustment that he has to make. Like some guys have a swing path that does lead to a lot more ground balls. I actually don't really see that being an issue with him. I mean, we, we, we you see his, you'll get a swing, you'll look at what he did in the minor leagues too. He doesn't really have a problem elevating the ball. I, I think he was just getting, he was just getting beat sometimes. Yeah, and again, year. it was a sixty-game <laughs> sample too. So, yeah, for uh, you know, he wasn't in in great shape either. To uh, I, I think that's fair to say. So I, I think he, you know, guys are just getting their timing back. It's it's a pandemic. He's he's a young hitter and I think he got better as as the season went along I don't put a ton of stock 
into kind of get into like micro splits territory there, breaking up a 60 game season into first and second halves. But I, I think, I mean, he reminds me of Manny Ramirez. I, I think he's going to be that kind of hitter, somebody who, who is that elite level hitter ability to control the strike zone and top of the scale power. Somebody who can just barrel any, any kind of pitch in, in the strike zone has a pretty good feel for not chasing too much outside the play. You don't see a lot of swing and miss with him. And, and like you said, when he hits it, he is demolishing the ball. So I, I think, I think you're going to see, I think you're just going to see more balls in the air and and improved numbers for him overall. I don't know. I don't necessarily know if it all clicks for him necessarily this year, but I I, I think it could, and I certainly think at, at some point you're going to see him be a a thirty or potentially forty plus home run hitter in the big leagues. How many guys have we put eighty hit tool grades on? Because I know Vladdy is probably the most recent one. Does what does Wander have? What did we put on Wonders until we had an 80 on his as well, didn't we? Yeah, we still have yeah. an 80 on his too. How many of those guys have we had in recent years? So that's just such a loud tool to put on a prospect. Are there any I, others I that come to mind in recent two. years? The only two ever? And in recent years. Hmm. I would have to, we'll have to check in and see how many 80, at least in the prospect handbook, how many guys we put an 80 hit tool on. Yeah, I think just having such a large staff too where we have to go through such a process where we'd have to have <laughs> – a lot of people feel conviction in putting that 80 on a player's grade is and on the uh, hit tool is it right on a, on a player's hit tool is a tough one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's my breakout pick. Do you guys want to talk about who you chose as a breakout hitter or pitcher or just breakout players in general that you find interesting? Well, I picked uh, Willie Castro who, you know, I was, I think I ranked him at some point in the Carolina league when he was with the Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was always intriguing. And last year in the all important 36 game sample size, he hit really well. Um, and he's done really well in spring training. So I think, you know, why not? <laughs> it, it, there's, there's a lot of choices to make, but this guy seems like it might be there. He's got the ability to switch hit. He's got power. He might stay up the middle. I mean, this looks like a guy. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, hitch my wagon to him this year. Okay. Ben, did you, ha- did you uh, have a breakout hitter or breakout pitcher? Did you throw a crystal ball this year? I'm glad, I like Alec. I mean, I obviously like Vladdy too, but I like Alec Bohm. I don't know if he necessarily <laughs> qualifies, but I, I think he, he obviously got some attention as a rookie for what he did in a short season last year but I think he has a chance to take it take it to another level not a lot of defensive value but you know a lot of times I get a little gun shy on really tall long arm type hitters but he has pretty good plate coverage and bat to ball for such a tall guy with such a big strike zone that he has to cover I think he's a guy who can be uh, plus or better hitter, and I think he's does a good job of controlling the strike zone. He's got a, another guy I think has a chance to be a, a thirty-plus home run type guy. So I'm I'm very much in on on Alec Bohm this year. Well, awesome. Those are our breakout hitters. Um, and if you're a subscriber to the magazine, I think we have our full crystal ball 
preview coming up in the next issue where you can look through all of our individual predictions and the rest of the BA staff's predictions, both for players, for teams, for standings. Um, those are always fun to do. And we know the season's getting close when we're doing those crystal ball projections. So, or predictions, they aren't projections, but um, you guys want to dive into some reader questions now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. All right. Um, let's see. Jay Lee on Instagram asks, what are your thoughts on Royce Lewis? Uh, I will just throw it out to either of you guys. I did the twins chapter this year, so I can touch on him, but curious what you guys think as well. And it's pretty open-ended. So I guess, what are your thoughts just generally? Yeah, it's, it's a bummer. Cause it's, it seemed like, I mean, you, you got more information than, than I did last year from the alternate site, but it, it seemed like he was going in the right direction last summer. Um, it, it's I, I, I was optimistic. I mean, if we had like a, I don't know if he'd be like a breakout candidate, but certainly maybe like a bounce back candidate for, for, for a minor league player, he would have been mm-hmm. the guy if he had been healthy for me. I, I thought he was going to have, it, it just seems like everything was going the right way. It's just kind of a, a bummer that we're not going to see him this year. Yeah. Definitely. yeah I think, I, yeah, go ahead, Josh. I'd say I agree. It was an absolute bummer when you, you find out the tour is that it was ACL. Yep. Um, it, it, it does stink. You know, I saw him in the fall league in 2019 and he was amazing. You know, he, he's always had the ability to flash the tools that, you know, made him the guy he is. Um, but it didn't always come together. Like he had some issues in the Florida state league and I believe in the Southern league as well. But when it comes together, man, it's really pretty. And I was looking forward to seeing if it can or if it did uh, this year with the minor league season again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things for me for Royce this year was just seeing his uh, improved defense or if he actually translated that to, to real games, not just workouts over the summer. Um, because a lot of the reviews I got from talking with people – or that he really improved defensively, um, particularly with his throwing. I know that's been an issue for him in the past, um, but just being able to throw from multiple arm slots and from from different arm slots that's necessary for that position. I think Lewis is a guy who really, depending on what you need uh, at the major league level, he could fill a lot of holes for you defensively. I think he could play all over the infield. He definitely has the speed and the athleticism to play in the outfield. So if you think as bad as ready, you could – probably plug and play him in a number of positions, but the pure hit tool might be the biggest question with him just because some of the things you were mentioning, Josh, like there are a lot of hitters in the twin system that seem very mechanically sound and have a really good understanding of what their bodies are doing and what their approach is at the plate. Whereas Royce seems to be more of that just natural athlete with twitchy bat speed who it just kind of, either goes or doesn't for him. There are some mechanical quirks. Uh, he can get pull happy at times. Um, I think he's had some plate coverage issues at times. He struggled with sliders at times. So there are some question marks there, uh, but we've seen him when he's been on, he's been absolutely electric. Um, and while I think there are some people who are rightly a little skeptical of the Springer comps that he's gotten, I feel like that upside is still kind of in the tank. Like the pure hitting ability obviously is going to be the biggest question, but the tools that he has are just really, really impressive. So I guess those are some general thoughts on Royce Lewis. Uh, thank would you. you 
I was going to say, how would you stack him up? Like you've been writing about shortstops. Mm-hmm. We talked about Jordan Lawler and Marcelo Meyer on the last podcast. I know you, you wrote a story up on him in the, in the, in the stock watch at baseballamerica.com. So obviously Lewis won one overall mm-hmm. when he got drafted in 2017. Would how, how would you stack Jordan Lawler up compared to Royce Lewis, obviously, when, when Lewis was, was an amateur. Yeah, I actually was talking to some some people about just these comparisons in general. Royce was a guy who got brought up in one of those conversations, and the thinking from people who know more than me was that Royce is kind of a different animal in terms of an overall athlete. Um, but I do think that, and I would have to go back and look at what the time what we had on Royce offensively. I think Lawler might have more pure hitting ability or, or a better offensive foundation just in terms of his hitting ability. And maybe this is me um, overstating it just because I've been really bearing down on Lawler and we're at the point where people are uh, really nitpicking Royce offensively. So that would be one question, but no, I think they're in a similar tier of player pre-draft. The person that I talked to that probably knows more thought that Lewis just athletically, uh, athletically, excuse me, was a bit better. Um, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have. I, I would probably at this point have more confidence that Lawler figures it out defensively at shortstop, but I don't know. It's pretty close. As I'm trying to think through it, it's, it's tough to separate them a ton. Uh, so I think your instincts to compare them are good, Ben. Yeah, well, that's, again, I just why we think so highly of Jordan Lawler. And and I, very, I think a very different player, Lewis versus – obviously Marcelo Meyer, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's, it's just, again, goes to speak why we, we think these guys are potential top five picks and, and potential, yeah. you know, top two or three picks even. Yeah. And I think just giving me an opportunity to plug that stock watch today, this year's high school, we talked about it on last podcast. And I think we, we mentioned it very briefly, but this year's high school class shortstop class has a chance to be the best of the baseball America era, just in terms of guys, who are selected as shortstops going in the first round. So if you're interested in that, you can read it at the website right now, but we'll move on to a few other questions we have here. Uh, J five on Instagram asks gut feeling is angels right-hander Chris Rodriguez going to be an ACE. I'll throw this one to you guys again, Josh, do you have any thoughts on this? No, no, you don't uh, have any he, thoughts or no, he's no, not, he's gonna not be going ace. to be an ACE. Um, <laughs> uh, I, he simply hasn't pitched that much. It's, it's uh, the stuff is is there. The delivery is problematic, and has been problematic throughout the course of his career. I mean, he's made three starts uh, as high as high A. I know he's looked good in spring training. I know that stuff is electric. When I mentioned earlier that I went to five backfields in five days or five in one day, he was pitching on one of them. He's really, really got good stuff, but he smells. He smells. He feels like a reliever. Uh, for me, I get that he's doing really well in spring, but I don't put a whole heck of a lot of stock into spring training, quite frankly. And the fact, if you're going to say ace, I think that any given time, there's less than 10 aces in the big leagues. And, you know, That's it's like, you know, betting on, on the field at this point is, is just much easier. Betting on the, all the other range of outcomes for Chris <laughs> Rodriguez. And let's, I hope he proves me wrong, but um, the odds aren't in his favor. Ben, I want to I want to know more about this reliever smell. 
that you're, <laughs> that you're well, talking. Is that a new we're uh, patenting over here at, at, at my house? It's been a long pandemic, all right. <laughs> 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 I, right. I, I, I think I, I agree with Josh where we're agreeing too much I mean, on this if, podcast. If you could, it's a lot more fun to disagree. Well, I, I think if you could, if you could somehow say, Hey, I can, I can guarantee you he will be able to throw 180 innings to 200 innings over the course of four five, six years. Then yeah, I could, <laughs> I mean, the, I, I would, I would buy that he can be, uh, a frontline starter it's it's that kind of stuff i mean you he's sitting 93 95 he can run up into the upper 90s you'll see a, a plus slider sometimes you'll see a plus change up sometimes you'll you'll see you'll you'll see you know pitches across the board that can miss a lot of bats but like josh said there's not much track record there of durability and there, there is a lot of health related risk with him. He's thrown three innings in the last uh, three years. I, I believe it is obviously with the caveat that he did throw, there was no minor league season. So he did throw and, and I believe stayed healthy last summer at their alternate site and in, in an instructional league. And, and the reports were really, really good. I mean, we have him ahead of Reed Detmers. And I like Reed Detmers. Uh, Chris Rodriguez has, I think it's fair to say, better, better pure stuff. I don't know if you, you guys would agree with that or not. I think he has better pure stuff, though, than, than Reed Detmers. For sure. But, you know, we just talked about, you know, being healthy over 160, 180 innings for a season. He's thrown 77 and two-thirds innings in his career. Right. So, so that's yeah. – and it's, and it's – it, you know, he had, a, he had back surgery. Yeah, you could say that's, it's, not, it's not an arm – um, th- but you know, back injuries, if you've ever had a back injury, uh, you know, that can be a recurring thing. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a pretty good probability he, he could end up in a relief role, or at least if he is a starter, there's certainly a lot of durability risk with him. Uh, I, I love the stuff, but yeah, I think I, I would love to see him just be able to. I mean, he is. He's and he's turning twenty. What twenty three? I think he this is, year. In, he's he's twenty two right now. He'll turn twenty three in July. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> and we've never seen him throw a hundred innings in in a season uh, since he got drafted out of high school, I, I believe. So it's uh, look obviously some you know some caveats are are in there. But yeah, I think just the the durability risk is uh, pretty pretty significant with him. But obviously, the upside because of the stuff is is pretty significant. All right, uh, on to the next one. J Five on Instagram has another question that passed the filter and got on here. Uh, so congrats to J Five for getting two questions. The first listener with two questions in the same episode. Nice job. Uh, will Aaron Ashby be the number three? starter i'm assuming this means in the brewers rotation in short order so just really aggressive really high projections for j5 on pitching prospects uh will aaron ashby be the number three starter for the brewers in in short order guys uh i think he i think he has a chance to be i mean he pitched last year at their alternate site and i I think it came out um 
that he he had COVID uh, last year, and it sounds like he went to the alternate site. And you know, we've we've talked about keeping context in mind before, and it sounds like he wasn't very good <laughs> at the alternate training site for the Brewers last year. But that seems like a fair factor to keep into consideration uh, with him in terms of just getting his strength back and, and building himself back up to be able to pitch at full strength last summer. But when he went to the alternate site, the reviews on him there were really, really good. Uh, he was sitting like 93, 97 there. I think you've seen some in, in spring training this year where, where the stuff has looked really good but again context (laughs) being important here he was you know the stuff jumped a little bit but he was throwing in in shorter bursts he's not having to hold it over the course of a full season the way he was before I expect the the kind of the average or the sitting velocity to come down once he does have to throw five six innings at a time and obviously at instructional league he last year was 22 years old going up against mostly young hitters, including 17, 18-year-old international signings. And, so, you know, so it's uh, um, not, not quite the same competition that he would have been or, or that he had faced previously up through high A. I, I do think he has a chance to come in and, and maybe be a, a back-of-the-rotation type guy for the Brewers by the end of the year. And, and I do think he has the, the upside to be a mid rotation starter or, or potentially even a, like a, a high level, uh, excuse me, a, a high leverage relief guy. If, if the stuff is that much better in, in short bursts, the way that he's shown both in spring training this year and last year in instructional league, maybe that's a role that that suits him obviously i would i would continue certainly to keep him as a starter and develop him in in that role um but yeah it was it was definitely one of the best reports as far as stuff coming out of uh instructional league from uh from scouts who saw the brewers last year i mean ben pretty much said it best and i get why uh j5 is saying this because he has eight outs in big league spring training this year and seven are strikeouts. So I can understand why he's excited, but it is spring training and it is eight outs. Uh, he's also got three walks in those two and two thirds innings. And, you know, he, the next inning he throws at the upper level will be his first. So even if he is a number three at some point, I don't think it's going to be in short order by any means. Yeah, I'm glad we have you on here, Josh, to pour cold water on all the players in baseball. It's really refreshing. We should just have uh, a, a water special is heaters. often refreshing. <laughs> Wait, um, say what, Ben? We just have a special hater segment and just have Josh on for. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. My, my my top 100 rant. Of everyone has warts. Then yeah, yeah, yeah that's probably about right. <laughs> So hopefully those were uh, fulfilling answers for you, uh, J5. Another question comes from CJ German on Instagram. Uh, What are your thoughts on Mets catcher Francisco Alvarez? Do either of you have any spicy takes or opinions on Francisco Alvarez? So Ben, you do the hot water and I'll do the cold water. Yeah, we're playing good good cop, bad cop with uh, Ben Badler and Josh Norris. Hold on, are you not on Francisco Alvarez, Josh? 
I, I am. I was just going to keep the pattern going. Like if you're if you perform at that level in the Appalachian League, then I'm yeah, I'm in. But if we're going to keep the pattern and and debate, embrace debate, then I was going to take the bad cop. <laughs> embrace but, debate. Oh, no. no, nobody wants that. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I like him. Uh, like I said, age and context is a lot of things to me. And he performed at a really young age in the Appalachian League. That's a, a big gold star on the report card. I'm going to give to Francisco Alvarez. Um, the only caveat I will throw out is, you know, pitchers will break your heart and so will catchers. So, you know, I'm in. Invest in shortstops. On him. Yeah, everyone will break your heart, basically. This is a, a, a sentiment you could write a country song around. Ben, any, yeah, ex- no, any expanded I'm, I'm, thoughts? I'm very much in on Francisco Alvarez, too. I mean, like Josh's point is a fair one of being a, I believe still, yeah, 19-year-old catcher who has not yet played in a full-season league. All right, yeah, I get it. There's, there's certainly risk there. But I, I, I just think I – don't, I don't see any reason why he would struggle to hit, at least at the A-ball level. I can't imagine him running to any issues. I, I think he's a really, really talented hitter with a lot of bat speed and a lot of power, pull power, opposite field power. Um, I, I think he has a chance to be – I mean, for and he's a catcher, <laughs> middle of the lineup type guy who who can catch, who has a really strong arm. I, to me, I actually am a little bit more concerned, or not concerned, maybe it's not the right word, but I, I do see probably more room for him to improve on on the defensive side. He does have a really good arm, but as far as the some of the blocking and and receiving that that stuff, which is you know, really important for, for a catcher. I think we're going to need to see him improve a lot in, in that area of his game. I think it gets a little bit glossed over sometimes. He just, he is because he does have such a good arm and he is such a talented hitter. Um, But I, I, I would like to see him make some defensive improvements to buy into that side of, of his game more. But I think, I think long term he will stick behind the plate and, and has a chance to be an, an impact hitter for him. Awesome. All right, moving on to the next one. Uh, Nader on Instagram asks who gets their first MLB plate appearance or who gets their first MLB plate appearance first, Spencer Torkelson or Austin Martin? Um, what do you got on that one, Carlos? Well, honestly, like i these questions are kind of interest or not specifically this question, but these sorts of conversations are so much less interesting just because so much of the decision and so much of the actual result just depends on how competitive a team is or the holes a team has at the major league level it doesn't really speak to the skill or the readiness of either player just because they're in vastly different situations so if the blue jays are competitive and they've got a hole that austin martin is capable of filling they're going to pull him up you would you would hope if they aren't playing service time games, same thing with Spencer Torkelson. It seems like the the Tigers are going to be aggressive in pushing Torkelson. And I think maybe there is some work that Austin Martin uh, could spend a little bit more time doing defensively in the minors as they kind of figure out what position he fits best at or what position they need him to get the most reps at for their major league team. But I mean, both of these guys, I feel like are, should be fast movers. Austin Martin proved himself the best conference in college baseball 
and was near 400 hitter over his career. I th- let me check that just to make sure I'm not overinstating it. But he was an exceptionally good hitter in the SEC. Same thing with Spencer Torkelson in the Pac-12. So both of these guys, I don't think they need a ton of polish offensively. And Torkelson is playing a position where I wouldn't imagine you need a ton of reps defensively. Um, I don't really know which one's going to come up first because this is something that's team dependent. Do you guys have any thoughts? Any, any, I, um, I think you nailed it. Like yeah. it, it's not independent of the player's skill. Like we've seen uh, uh, crochet last year was the first guy since leak to go straight to the big leagues. Uh, a lot of times there might be guys who are ready ish or, or close to ready as soon as they come out of college. But the way we play service time games, um, they don't get there immediately. Yeah, and just to clarify, Martin hit 368 over his college career. He hit 392 his sophomore year, which was insane. And then 377 in his his junior year. Well, he's obviously trending down. You have to to sell sell on him while you you can. Though no SEC play in in his junior year. So, you know, it doesn't hurt the average for his career. Mm. but yeah it's a nuanced question it's not as simple as boiling it down to which guy's better um so that's really a non-answer but yeah sorry to spend so much time talking and not answer your question uh cj so unless ben is going to save you here in the final final seconds (laughs) sorry that is definitely no it's yeah (laughs) i think both these guys will get up there probably early to mid 2022 I, I don't think I don't think either of those guys will be up this year I don't know do, do you guys think either of them will be up this year I would be surprised I, I, yeah I, I just I can't I mean neither of them that. have played pro ball not unless yeah I mean if, if you're gonna guess one I'd guess Martin because right I mean, if you're just because, because of the Blue Jays being in contention this year yes in, in theory they're gonna be in contention this year and if that's the guy that can give you the last oomph on the way up to either the wild card or the division or whatever it may be, maybe that's the guy. But I don't think anybody expects the Tigers to be in that position where they're going to need Torkelson to push them over the top of the AL Central. Um, no, and they want him to kind of learn third base. Like, I don't know. <laughs> is, that, is that actually going to happen? <laughs> Just let him mash, uh, man. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. So I, I think but we're – I, I think both these guys will finish. I, I think they probably both finish the year in either double A or triple. I mean, they could probably, it, it kind of depends on who else is around them. I think, especially for the Blue Jays, how many shortstops they have, what level they start at. I mean, they could start at double A. I don't think that would be out of place by any means if they wanted to be aggressive and send them there and, but and also the leagues are just here. just going to be so different this year with the new minor league system so i'm very curious to see how teams deal with starting their players out and advancing them and promoting them stuff like that just because the makeup of all these leagues is going to be very different i would assume the wrinkle yeah. is do, you, do you think those those will be the i was gonna say do you think those will be the first two guys up from from the draft obviously crochet has already been there no, i think crochet they, would be my answer i think he'll be first yeah, 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 that's. Well, I was gonna say, I, I said, I said hitters. You know, let me finish my oh, sentence, Carlos. Oh, so there you go. Oh. The first, the first two hitters. From... Let's see. Um, 
I'm pulling up the draft I, I feel, just to see if there's another guy that comes to mind that is like an obvious. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be choice. some reliever. There's going to be some reliever who gets there faster because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like his name the, will be Crochet. Um, I did want to put in a wrinkle there. Like we talked about the 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 realignment of the minors. Well, you got that in the pandemic. Um, the Blue Jays low minors is going to be in a world of hurt this year. So with the big league team not being allowed in Canada for the time being, they're going to play in Dunedin. If that keeps up the way it's going, where does Dunedin go? Dunedin, their low A team, goes onto the backfields probably or plays as the road, you know, the, the road warriors. Well, okay, send them to high A. Well, their high A team's in Vancouver, which as far as I know is also in Canada. And if they can't, I, I don't think they're anticipating playing the first couple months of the season or at least early part of the season at their home park. So they might also be road warriors unless they can find a, an empty park in the Pacific Northwest footprint. So it might not be advantageous to send a high value prospect like Austin Martin to one of those levels where he's going to be in such a weird environment at either high A or low A. So you might send him to double A simply for the best chance to develop in uh, a normal environment. Yeah, but you have Groshans too. I mean, you got to send somebody there. Oh, for sure. But like, you know, with, with Carlos has talked about, we don't know where where um, where Martin's going to play. You can move him around with Groshans. I really, really he hope also... they give him reps at shortstop. I really want to see him there in in some semblance of extended time, just because he he hasn't got a shot to do it. And I know if you if you weren't the shortstop on your college team or your high school team, that's probably telling you something. But I really him very high on his athleticism, his ability to play that position. I just want to see how he looks. You can always move him off yeah, the position think, later if it doesn't work. I think the plan is to develop him at shortstop, but they probably will give him some exposure to yeah. other spots. Cause they, then they have, I mean, they have a bunch of shortstops and mm-hmm. some of our kind of shortstop ish prospects, right? Like Jordan Groshans and, or Elvis Martinez, two guys who probably will move off that position so all right well maybe give uh you know if 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 martin is further along than or elvis martinez i i can't imagine or elvis would be anywhere other than low a i can't remember who their new low a affiliate is off the top of my head if they changed it but um you know martin could could Need be him. higher but wherever he goes they're gonna he'll he'll probably spend the majority of his time at shortstop i think but also maybe see him get some exposure to to other positions Yep, so that was the there. longest non-answer that you've probably ever gotten, Nader, um, but, but there it is. Um, Grant Christie on Instagram asks, this is an interesting one, if you could do your career all over again, what would you change, if anything? Josh, you can go first. Well, you know, since I started back in the days of hot type and you know, the printing press with Gutenberg, <laughs> uh, I, I, would, I would change a lot of things. Uh, no, I think I, I, see, I see, well, I won't, that would ruin yours, but I did take a fair amount of Spanish in high school and college, and I'm passable with Spanish right now. I can speak fairly good uh, white guy Spanish is, I guess, the best way to put it. I could get by, but I would do it more fluently so I could, you know, not have to pull out an interpreter every time I want to talk to this prospect or that prospect. And that's going to become mm-hmm. extremely problematic, I think, in the era of Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um I would have gotten a lot better with 
that this is going to sound ironic considering my job, video editing software, um, like that stuff was, I'm kind of learning it on the fly. I'm not great with it. There's some stuff that I want to do. I, mean, I, could, I could do iMovie where I cut it up and you know, do very primitive stuff. Uh, but I would do fancy things where I could, you know, overlay things and make little like lightsaber, like pitch tail or bat tails to eliminate a guy's bat path. And I just don't know how to do that. Um, those are the two big ones, but I would say the just kind of tangent for a second. The one thing that I did do that was really good that I would recommend for journalists is to be versatile. Like, don't just be able to write, be able to copy edit, be able to design a little bit. Uh, be able to video. If you're a Swiss Army knife, you can, you know, you could be used for a lot of things, and that's come in handy a lot of times in my career. Yep. Ben, do you have anything? Yeah, I, I would go maybe more some behavioral or, or mindset type things. Certainly early on in in my career, I just worked all the time, and it's not hard to do that when your job is baseball and you really enjoy it. And I still find myself working 70 hour weeks, but I've also kind of learned, all right, now, now I kind of know when I can pull it back a little bit more and, <laughs> and, and spend some time on other things where it's not just, uh, you know, not just working 70 hour plus weeks all the time. I mean, I, I think especially when hard work is always important. <laughs> I think especially when you're um, just just starting out. I don't think there's much way to to replace that. Uh, and it certainly learned a lot. But I also look back and realize, yeah, I probably could have taken <laughs> a, a vacation or two or uh, taken my foot off the gas pedal earlier on in, in my career sometimes. And I wouldn't be falling behind. It's it's not the end of the world to, um, you know, to miss a game here or there. It's uh, probably more probably would have had better mental health for myself had I had I understood that from <laughs> maybe in an earlier age. And then maybe the other thing is just that just that I would recommend for for everybody to kind of learn when when you're as young as possible is is not have a kind of a zero sum mentality about life, which, I mean, I, I think sports teaches a lot of good lessons, but one that people I think get tripped up on is like, you know, the Blue Jays play the Tigers. Well, one team has to win and the other team has to lose. And it has to come at somebody else's, that win has to come at somebody else's expense and I think just life in general is not, it's not really like that. There's, there's an abundance. So um, just, just getting, getting that mentality early on is, is, is I think really beneficial for, uh, for people to, to understand. Well, I, I, I really should have gone second. So I didn't have to go after Ben here, but what do you want to jump in and say, Josh? I just wanted to say like the one thing that this pandemic has taught me uh, that I should have focused on is to not make your career and your leisure the same thing because when a pandemic comes along or something your like leisure that just comes entirely along, went away huh Josh <laughs> your my 
my world went away. I mean, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like I, without baseball games, and for a while it looked like there was going to be no sports in general, I had nothing. Like it was just- You had me in the slack. Everything. Cool. Everything <laughs> was gone at once. Oh, we were <laughs> friends, Josh. I mean, that's true, but I like, you know, it's it's still work friends no offense but like it was just my entire meaning kind of went away for a while and there was that period early in the pandemic where i didn't think it was going to come back in time um i thought it was going to be well this is you have to start basically everything over and that's a really scary feeling when you are it's just both those things at once. So don't make work everything, which is basically what Ben just said, but in a little more dramatic way. There's got to be something else. You can't have work as the entirety of your life. Well, Carlos, th- this is really awkward because I-, I was going to say learn Spanish and learn more computer skills. <laughs> oh man, you guys got so deep. And I'm telling people to learn Spanish and learn how to code. <laughs> no, but, and also, I think those I are, like, those are really important skills though. I mean, like, like we can, it's good yeah. to touch on different. Well, I also was going to talk about the importance of like hard work and you guys basically said the opposite, but I do think your, your point Ben about when you're get, just starting out, how important that is. I feel like, and, and maybe in this industry, you don't see it as much, but I feel like people underestimate how much just working hard can set you apart even if you're not like a super toolsy guy in terms of skills, if you just show up and work hard and show like an incentive to like want to improve, that'll, that'll help you so much in whatever field, but I'm 26. I'm not here to give life advice. So like (laughs) my dad is Cuban and is fluent in Spanish. And I always get onto him for not like forcing us to learn Spanish. When we grew up, Uh, we grew up in North Carolina away from my Cuban relatives in Miami and in the Keys. So I feel like if we had grown up down there, I probably would know Spanish because they're all fluent and bilingual. Um, so kind of like Josh was saying, that's just super useful in general and specifically for baseball. And then also, um, I feel like just it's very helpful if you have any kind of coding skills, if you know SQL, if you know R. Um, I'm kind of trying to pick those up here and there, but it's obviously a lot harder to do that while doing a full-time job and balancing other things than maybe when you're younger in school and you can take some of those classes and get really proficient in, in that skill set. So that would be something that if I was going back and can do it over again, uh, I would love to be fluent in Spanish and know just a little bit more about computer science. Can I, can I ask, yeah. like, could you do it over again? Like, was that a thing when you were in college? Yeah, so I definitely took a computer science class in college and I don't want to talk about the grades I got, but they were pretty bad there. At one point I was thinking about minoring in computer science because I knew just how useful it was in, in every field. But yeah, Josh, I went to school in 2012, man. Come on. I truly don't know when like R and Python and SQL and whatever other noun yeah. you want to throw in there. Became there was, a thing. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know the details of that, but there was definitely like a computer science program that was pretty well established when I was in school. Yeah. But Ben, I know you wanted to jump in there at one point. And I was just going to say, yeah, if you can, if you can speak Spanish, if you're fluent in Spanish, it immediately, if you want to work, especially if you want to work for a club, like that's an, you immediately, your resume gets put into a different pile. <laughs> I mean, you, you get put into the good pile right away because you're just going to have a greater chance of getting 
whether it's an internship or, or an entry level job, it just opens a lot more doors for you. So if, if you're, if you're a high school student right now and you're, you want to work in baseball and you're listening to this in your AirPods in your French class right now, just walk up out of that classroom and just enroll in Teddy in Teddy Spanish is listening right to this now. right now and just throwing things telling people to walk <laughs> oh, out no, of French he's, class. He's, he's just saying merde and <laughs> Yeah, just 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 get up, just get up, leave. You can say I heard it on the Future Projection podcast. This is the advice I got. I'm doing it right now. It's just, it'll just give you such a a leg up, but I mean to what you were saying about like hard work. Yeah, I mean that's to just to be clear, like it's still I'm still still working a, a similar schedule as far as hours and it's a seven day a week job for for all of us. It's just a matter of, you know, learning when to I think pick your spots and say, Okay, I don't I don't need to do this. I can go to a, a family occasion or 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 maybe see a friend uh you know for a big event or, or something like that. Uh, whereas maybe earlier in my career, I wouldn't have necessarily done that. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important early on in your career to work hard. I think it's, I, I think it's, you know, I don't know what point I am. I hope I can work another 30 years at this job, but I think it's also, it's also dangerous to sort of rest on, on what you've done, whether it's, you know, in our jobs or, or any job you'll, you know, have other people, pass you by. I, don't, I, I just don't think you can rest on your past accomplishments. So yeah, work at, at any age I think is, or, or I mean, any level of, of experience is, is you, you can't replace it. One day you're, you're working at BA and you're, you're, you think you're the, the cock of the walk. And then they, at, some, at some point a Carlos Colazzo comes along and you're like, holy crap, this guy's talented. Where I, the I, gotta, I, I, gotta, I gotta start a podcast with him just to ride his coattails. False. I got I well first I got to be a guest on his podcast False. and then and then maybe he, <laughs> but it truly is amazing to see at both of my stops the talent level of the interns that come along and oh, just yeah. all of our interns are smarter should, than us I feel like at this point I should be getting you coffee <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is sir or ma'am I should be shining your shoes or no, to, to be clear, what do you have in the interns do for you, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, this I, is not I got representative a of the them, Baseball America internship. Program. I don't think we've ever once interns? had an intern get coffee for anyone. No, no, I, I could tell some intern stories from the other place. But <laughs> do you drink coffee, Josh? I do not. Uh, I would be like, hey, you go get me a diet, Dr. Pepper. No, nor do you wear shoes that would need to be shown. <laughs> I don't know, man. He has some pretty flashy uh, Oregon color shoes that, that maybe they need a shining. Um, and for a while, I did go through a phase where I wore shinable shoes at the office, but not ours. <laughs> oh, Josh. Oh, Josh. Anyway. Well, this is why we have you on the podcast, Josh, for, for takes like this. and To for, make y'all look like better. Yeah. <laughs> but um. I feel like this is as good a place as any to stop. Um, if there's anything else you guys want to touch on here, we can jump into it. But um, this has been a fun podcast. Uh, we've gone over a lot of things, got some life advice from Ben and Josh. So hopefully that's oh useful for you guys. Uh, Josh told you to unsubscribe from the podcast. It's been a really fun one. 
if you think that we would cut Ronald Acuna, not otherwise. If you don't think we would actually do that, keep subscribing. <laughs> and also, if you're getting life advice from me, you may as well get dunking advice from me. Yeah, that's it's true. It's about the same. So um, typically, before we close out, we kind of let everyone plug either what they're working on, what's coming for them, or any final comments. Josh, do you have anything that you want to plug um, social media wise or anything that you're working on that people should be on the lookout for or anything else like that? Uh, I'm working on some guys who threw the heck out of the ball at instructs, uh, whose names you either do know, we talked about Chris Rodriguez, uh, but some guys you don't know who threw the heck out of the ball. Uh, um, and then later in the week, I think I have, um, uh, because of the weird minor league quirks, you're going to see guys like, let's take a Christian Robinson who, you know, tore it up in Hillsborough and uh, got promoted to Kane County. Well, flash forward a year, we missed a season in minor league baseball. He, Kane County is no longer affiliated, and he's probably going to start 2021, is that the year we're in? Yes, in Hillsborough again. So he's going to go Hillsborough, Kane County, Hillsborough, and it won't have been a demotion. It'll be a promotion. And there's going to be a fair amount of guys like that whose stat cards look weird because a lot of things change levels. I think All that's right. kind of quirky and interesting. Um, and at some point I might try to predict, and I predict is a very loose term, guess the futures game rosters. Are you having a futures game? I'm going to predict them. And if it happens, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> right now, right now. I don't even know if we're having a futures game. <laughs> right, right. I, that's part of the prediction, right now, Ben. We're going to have. You should predict nobody. Go with that. <laughs> right now we're going to – we're scheduled to oh have baseball like uh, Palooza, which is – we would have the first round of the draft. I think it's the first round of the draft. And the Futures game on the same day in the same place. Yeah. That's going to be wild if it happens. That'll be fun, hopefully. Uh, you what can follow you, Josh what your th on Twitter Sorry. at jnorris427 really quickly if you're inclined. You like birds and baseball and rap music. That is your place. Do you not tweet about Oregon sports? I do tweet about Oregon sports. I forgot about that, but they're ducks yeah. that fall under birds. Yeah, Josh tweets a lot about Drake on his Twitter account, his favorite rapper. Drake is a kind of duck, so kapow. <laughs> uh, ben, do you have anything that you want to plug or that you're working on? Yeah, just uh, don't listen to Josh and subscribe to the Future Projection podcast so that way you'll know when we have a new episode uh but i really did enjoy the final appearance for josh on the future projection yeah podcast. it was a really good it was a really good finale for you josh congratulations hello and goodbye <laughs> <laughs> um for me uh working on draft our first in-season draft update is coming that should be out next week on the website this has been the most chaotic year in terms of lining guys up uh, and trying to find some semblance of consensus, hopefully near the end of this uh, college season, we'll get uh, a little better confidence for how guys are lining up and, and just players at the top of the board, uh, et cetera. But an update's coming, an expansion is coming. We'll go to 300 prospects. Uh, so if you're into that, be on the lookout for that next week. We might have already recorded the next episode of this podcast before those go out, but that's kind of the big thing on my list right now. Um, but yeah, that's it. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast again. Um, we're still having a blast with it. And this is the fourth one. So we're on a hitting streak here. Things are going pretty well. Um, continue to rate and review. If you have not, we are still fairly new to the podcast world compared to all the other 
hundreds of baseball podcasts that are out there. So that definitely does help. Um, but for Josh, for Ben, I'm Carlos. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.